invite you to take your Bibles and join me in the book of Philippians. We've made it to the final chapter, Philippians chapter 4. Now, just because we've made it to the final chapter doesn't mean that we're three-fourths of the way done. Uh, there's a lot in this chapter, so we're a little closer to two-thirds of the way complete. Uh, we, it, and here's the math. We've had 23, and we've got another 11 to go. So uh, you can do that. No, you can't. Okay, I don't care. Philippians chapter 4 is where we'll be today. Here's where we've been so far. In chapter 1, uh, Paul started off with his opening prayer of thanksgiving. He talked about his imprisonment, and even though he had been in prison, uh, the gospel continued to go forth, and he was glad about that. In chapter 2, he talks about following Jesus' example, which is where we find our theme verse. Let's say it together. We have Philippians 2, 5 through 8. We've got it there if you need to read it. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I skipped a couple words. I apologize. You got it right. In chapter 2, we saw the example of Jesus Christ, his humility and his exaltation and how we are to be humble and obedient like Jesus is. And then Paul gave us two examples of men who had the mind of Christ, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Chapter 3 was about Paul's personal example of living the, the, the mind of Christ, how he um, had many ways to boast in his heritage and in his, uh, his religious upbringing, but he counted it all as what? As loss for the all-surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And then chapter 3 ended with a challenge for us to live like Paul and others who are faithful. So in chapter 4, we have this challenge to us to stay faithful. The last two weeks, the last couple sermons in chapter 3, our title was Semper Fi, Always Faithful. We had a call in chapter 3, verse 17, to watch and imitate people like Paul and others who are faithful, followed by a graphic warning of what it looks like to be unfaithful. And then Paul whet our appetite for heaven in the last couple verses there. Today the challenge is to stay faithful. It's one thing to become faithful to the Lord. It's another to stay faithful. Now, if you think about that, isn't that kind of redundant? Because if we're going to be faithful, must we not stay faithful? And yet that's really what we find in, in our passage. That's the, the emphasis that we need is that we have to remain so our big idea this morning is God wants us to actively stay faithful to him. So let's read our text together. Philippians 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. 
Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray. Father, we have every reason to pursue godliness, to pursue Christ-likeness, to pursue righteousness and holiness. We have every good reason to be faithful to you. And yet, Father, our flesh is weak. You know this. You've designed us. And so you give us these reminders in Scripture, these commands, these challenges, these warnings in Scripture that we need to put energy and effort into living a faithful life. So Father, I ask that you would help us to do just that. So use me, use your word through me this morning to impact us that we might grow closer to you. In his name I pray. Have you ever interacted with the scripture, whether it's reading or studying or hearing someone read it, hearing someone teach it, having it preached? Have you ever interacted with scripture and genuinely be challenged to do something, but then you're like, how do I do that? It happens a lot, doesn't it? Sometimes the scripture is actually laid out like that, where it's very broad and General, for instance, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says this, but as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all your conduct. And you're like, that's a lot, right? It is. It's all-encompassing. It can be overwhelming even because the personal application for a verse like that never ends, does it? So you work on it the same way you would work on eating an entire elephant, right? Just one bite at a time. Today's passage is not like that, and I'm thankful for it. Makes it a whole lot easier for us to really put some action into what we're being challenged to do. Paul gives us a challenge to stand firm, which by itself is all-encompassing, much like uh, from Peter saying, be holy in all that you do. But Paul also gives us immediately ways to stand firm. And that helps, doesn't it? It gives us a place to start. At the end of chapter 3, Paul had started this topic of faithfulness leading into four, uh, four one, chapter 4.1, where we are today. He does so by pointing out whom we should imitate and those we should avoid imitating. He motivates our faithfulness by directing our hearts to heaven. And then beginning in uh, verse 2 that we'll get to this week, and then for a good chunk of the rest of the, of the book, Paul gives practical, real-world ways that we can remain faithful. We'll see a couple today, uh, next week. One of the ways that we remain faithful is rejoicing in the Lord. Uh, and so on. As you read through the rest of the chapter, you see all these ways that we can be faithful. So first of all, in verse 1, we see, stay faithful. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Therefore. What is the therefore pointing to? 
Therefore, because we live in striking contrast to the unfaithful, remember just a few verses earlier, chapter 3, verse 19, those warnings about what it looks like to be unfaithful. Because we live in striking contrast of the, unf- uh, of the unfaithful, let us stay faithful or stand firm. What is our natural tendency? Well, when we see the vast majority of everyone else around us living a different way, our tendency is to kind of just start going with the flow, right? What's easier, to float down a river or to stand in it while it's rushing around you? I suppose if it's a river that actually has a lot of water, it's really hard to stand in it. Last river I was in was only about five inches deep, so that wasn't so hard. But we don't live in a five-inch deep society, do we? We live in a society that's all around us every day pushing in a specific direction and it's hard to stand firm it takes effort and energy to stand firm but we are called to live differently therefore because we stand in contrast to the unfaithful therefore because we are citizens of heaven as we looked at in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 3 because we have a promised eternity stay faithful Who is this therefore pointing to? Well, he says, my brothers. Paul is an apostle. The apostles were the elite Christians, if you will. I don't mean that in in a worldly sense that that they were kind of snobbish and off-putting or something like that, but but they were the source of doctrine and practice in the early church. Uh, They had the Old Testament as their scripture. The New Testament was being written, much of it by the apostles, and the apostles were the ones who were the, the leaders of the church. Of the apostles, Peter was the primary apostle. He was the lead apostle to the Jewish people. And Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. So you've got Peter to the Jews and Paul to everyone else. It wasn't quite delineated perfectly like that. But it's not like Paul didn't talk to Jews. But in general, Peter was a, the primary apostle to the Jewish people and Paul to the Gentiles. So Peter and Paul were, in essence, the leaders of the leaders of the church. And yet look at the common man affection that he has for them. He says, therefore, my brothers. He doesn't treat them as though they are inferior or subordinate in any way, shape, or form. He says, he, he, he talks to them in this, these familiar terms. It was quite common in the early church for people to be completely disowned by their biological family because of their faith, because they've become a Christian. Jews who abandoned their Jewish tradition to follow the way, that would be what they called early Christianity, the way. Uh, if you abandoned Judaism to follow the way, you were done. There was, uh, they would not speak to you. They would have nothing to do with you. Completely cut off from family. Many Gentiles whose lives were changed by the gospel all of a sudden had nothing in common with those who had been lifelong friends. And, and that happens today, too. That happened to my dad. Uh, when he got saved, he also got sober. And all of the sudden, uh, the friends that he would hang out with who had this single, single MO, if you will, they, they had this single mode of operation that when they got together, they got hammered. 
when they pressure you to do the same thing and you're not going to do that, all of a sudden you don't have anything in common with them, right? So for a long time, the church was, was my dad's source of friendship. I mean, family hadn't rejected him like that, uh, but a lot of his friends, uh, he just lost for a while. I mean, over time he reconnected with many of them, but at, for a time, his closest friends were all church, and rightfully so. It says, brothers, whom I love and long for. The phrases increase in their affection as the sentence gets built. Therefore, my brothers, whom I, long for, I love and long for, my joy and crown. Paul loves his family in Christ. And when you love someone, you desire the best for them. If your love for someone is what you can get from them, ladies and gentlemen, that's not love. When you love someone, you, de you, you desire the best for them. And what's best for these friends back home, these brothers and sisters in Christ back in Philippi, is that they live faithful lives. Keep in mind Paul's situation. He's in prison. He has no capacity to get up and go visit his friends. Hence the phrase, whom I long for. We tend to take things in life for granted, don't we? We don't realize how much we miss our friends from, maybe, maybe you moved, maybe you lived somewhere else for a while and you come back and, and, and you get reunited with your friends and family like, I didn't realize how much I missed you. Why? Because we take them for granted when we're with them, and it's only when we're apart that we tend to recognize how much we actually love them. We take all sorts of things in life for granted. Our relationships, health, freedom. And I'm not suggesting that, that Paul took his relationships for granted, but in this non-voluntary separation from the Philippian believers, he has developed an aching desire to be reunited with his fellow believer. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Those are lofty words indeed, aren't they? Joy and crown. Crown here is not a shiny golden headband that some monarch might wear. A crown here is the award one would receive for winning an athletic challenge. It was a small wreath made out of pine most likely it was a, a wreath fashioned out of greenery that uh, that the the winner could wear on his head showing people that he had won much like today's athletes would receive uh, a ribbon uh, with a medal on it that they can wear around their neck or, or a trophy that they could post on on their in their trophy case showing that i have won something i've achieved something this crown is an award so in calling the Philippians his joy and crown, he's looking toward his heavenly reward. He's looking toward the, the time when Jesus says, bless you for being faithful, here is your reward. He's commending, Paul is commending the Philippians for their faithfulness because their faithfulness translates into an actual reward for Paul 
because Paul served with them, because Paul helped start the church back in the day. He calls them his joy. He's not saying that the Philippians are his sole source of joy. Paul would never speak like that of anyone other than Jesus himself. But in saying, you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you are my joy and my crown, Paul is saying that life is better for having lived and served with them. His life is better because he had been with the Philippians. Brothers whom I long and love for, oh my goodness, I can't read. Brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So he ends the phrase there by repeating his love for them. The most loving thing to help your fellow believer, the most loving thing that you can do is to help your fellow believer to love Christ and to live like Christ. To steer them away from sin. Drive them toward holiness. And that's what Paul's doing in this letter to the Philippians. To be like Jesus is the greatest aspiration one can spend their life pursuing. He says, stand firm thus in the Lord, or stand firm like this. Stay strong. Remain faithful, Paul pleads with him, like, like I've been explaining. And all I have to do is back up a few verses, and you, you see that, those explanations. Remain faithful in imitating me. Remain faithful by imitating Christ, by having the mind of Christ. So he's laid out his love for the Philippians once more. And he's given a command, stand firm or stay faithful. Now in verse 2, he gives us a way to stay faithful. He says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Now those two women are not here. We can't apply this quite as directly as the Philippian church did. But can you imagine being these two women? You know, when they received the word of God, they didn't get it in, in a, a private letter. As this letter went around, they didn't each one get a copy of the letter. They didn't have it emailed to them so they could just read it in the privacy of their home. No, they showed up at church one day and said, hey, we've got a letter from Paul, let's read it. And he, they get you know, about three-fourths of the way, and he names names. Can you imagine being these two women and the stress level that is going, Here's the specific problem that these women had with each other. Actually, we don't know. I mean, if you're looking at me like, what? No, read the Bible. We, we don't have anything other than they disagreed. There was some disagreement that was going on. All sorts of people have all sorts of ideas of, of what their issue actually was, but uh, there's no reason to venture into imaginations and spec speculations because that's all they are. Uh, let's stick with what the Bible actually says. Paul's actual command to them is agree in the Lord, which implies that they are disagreeing over something. And that the Lord had not been the center of their activity. Being brothers and sisters in Christ does not mean that we 
never have disagreements. We will have disagreements. Yet how we disagree should set us apart from the world, should it not? And that's what was not happening with these two women. They were disagreeing and locking horns, if you will, uh, over whatever the situation was, and, and they were not able to resolve it. Again, we don't know what the, the, the details of the situation actually was, but there are some things that we can be sure of that it was not. This was not a disagreement over some sort of primary or even secondary theological doctrine uh, at all. A primary doctrinal topic would be uh, like the virgin birth. Uh, to deny the virgin birth that Jesus was born uh, of Mary but not born of Joseph is to deny Jesus' deity and is to deny the capacity to have salvation. You can't have salvation if, if Joseph is Jesus' biological father. That is a primary uh, topic of doctrine or theology. Or, or maybe the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Had uh, Yodia or Syntyche denied that Jesus had a supernatural birth, having been born of Mary alone, or if they had a disagreement over how salvation is accomplished through Jesus, if, if one of them thought that, oh, I've earned a good chunk of my salvation, no, that's, that's not something that we can just gloss over. Paul would have called that out as heresy and said, take the woman who believes that, that she has made her own salvation and kick her out of the church because she is a poison. He didn't say anything like that. So whatever it is, it's not a, 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 of high doctrinal weight or value. So Paul encourages them to agree in the Lord. If there had been some grave error, he would have not held back. He would have just told them. And he would have said, label these people as false teachers or as pagans. So again, we don't know the specifics, but, what, but whatever their disagreement was, it was significant enough that Paul had to call them out for the sake of the church. He had to call them out in this public way because this matter left unchecked could have caused a great schism in the church. So God wants us to actively stay faithful to him. And one of the ways that we do that is how we relate to one another in Christ. Because how we relate to one another is directly connected to our faithfulness to God. Or to put it in another way, you cannot engage in conflict with a brother in Christ and be good with God. Right? You can't have this ongoing battle with someone who is a, another believer in Christ and have everything good with you and God. Uh, because first of all, it's disobedience, right? Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Someone may have a gripe with you, okay? And you've tried to resolve it, but as, mu but as much as it depends on you, the other person isn't, isn't going to reconcile. There's only so much you can do. As much as is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's Romans 12, 18. So to not try to resolve conflict that you have with someone else is disobedience. John, in his epistle, 1 John, 
1 John chapter 4, he connects our relationships uh, to, to our love for God as well. In 1 John 4, beginning in verse 19, we read this, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister in Christ, he is a, what's the word? Liar, right? For the person who does not love his brother or sister in Christ, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Our relationships with one another directly affects our relationship with God, and that's why Paul's calling them out. That's why he's mentioning these women by name. But he doesn't stop there, does he? There's a reason we went to verse 3 today as well. We are to stay faithful. When we have disagreements, we're supposed to stay faithful in verse 2. And in verse 3, we're to help others stay faithful. Verse 3, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So we don't know much about the women of verse 2, and we don't know really anything about Clement in verse 3 or any of these other co-workers, these fellow laborers, as he puts it, these true companions. Uh, but just because we don't know much about these people doesn't mean that there's nothing in it for us. That was a lot of negatives. It means there's still something here for us. As much as it is the responsibility of the two women of verse 2 to get along in Jesus, it is also the responsibility of the rest of the church to help them do so. Verse 3 does actually give us a little more information about Yodia and Syntyche. They're not rabble-rousers. They're not troublemakers. They were valuable co-workers with Paul when he was there. Remember, he helped start the church in Philippi. When he was there, these two women were valuable in the spread of the gospel in Philippi, which means they have been servants of God over the course of many years. They, along with other faithful fellow workers, have their names written in the book of life as he says at the end of verse 3. This book of life is the Lord's written record of those who are his own. John, again, just different book. John speaks of the heavenly Jerusalem, that great and grand city that we refer to as heaven in Revelation 21. Near the end of Revelation 21, beginning in verse 25, speaking of that great city, it says that, that its gates will never close by day because it'll never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And here's the key. Nothing unclean will ever enter that city, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. To have your name in the book of life is not some sort of metaphor that, uh, that Paul is bringing up in Philippians or that John is talking about. It is, uh, it is literally to have your place in heaven secured. In today's vernacular, it would be our irrevocable reservation. We have our spot in heaven. Why? Because our name is written in the book of 
of life. For all of us who have our names in the book of life, we are to help fellow believers to be faithful. Yodia and Sintiki needed help. It's their responsibility to pursue godliness, but they needed help to do it. And it's the direct responsibility of other faithful church members to give that help. So God wants us to actively stay faithful to him and to help others do the same. This is simply discipleship, isn't it? We keep coming back to this theme of discipleship. Why? Because all throughout the New Testament, we have this concept of discipleship where people are following God and they're helping others to follow God. The Christian life is not a solo endeavor. We need each other. We need to come alongside those who need help living for the Lord. And just as important, we need to receive with humility the godly instruction that we receive. Sometimes we're the ones that need someone to come alongside us and help us. We need to receive that. We need to humbly receive it, recognize the truth of God's word and how it needs to impact the way we're living individually. Take that and pursue it. God wants us to actively stay faithful to him. We stay faithful, we stand firm by keeping our reward of heaven in front of us. That's the end of chapter three. We stay faithful when we take care of sin problems in our own lives, like in verse 2 of chapter 4. As sin problems grow, and they always do, uh, any kind of sin that you're toying with, it will never be satisfied to stay there. It will grow unless you put effort into eradicating that sin. So confess that sin, forsake that sin. We stay faithful by taking care of sin problems. We stay faithful by helping others take care of of sin problems and live faithful to God. So the charge from God's word today is clear. The question is, will you be careful to do it? Will you strive to live every moment of every day in a manner that pleases our Lord? That's our goal. It's a goal that we won't fully realize until heaven. I get that, and and you do too. But it's still our goal, isn't it? to live faithfully for him each and every day. We're in this together, so let's work on it together. Let's pray. Father, thank you that that you haven't left us alone to, to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, but you have given us the church so that we can work together, so that other people can speak into our lives because they see things about us that we don't see in ourselves. And you've given us the spirit to 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 guide our thoughts so that as we are being helped and as we are helping others uh, through uh, the the right understanding of the word of God, that that we grow together. I'm sure it was embarrassing for these two women to have their names named in chapter 4, verse 2. And yet when God's people grow when God's people get together and help each other pursue godliness, there is no shame in that. And so, Father, I don't know what the outcome was of these two women. And I don't know what 
what people are struggling with under the sound of my voice today. But I know this, when we take care of sin, there is relief, not shame. There is release and joy and satisfaction because we have grown to be more like our Savior. Father, thank you for the examples that are given here, the instructions that are given here in this word today. We pray, Father, that you would help us to remain steadfast and faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing, I need thee.